Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. If you're a guest today, we're just traveling through the book of Philippians, together for grace. And let's ask God to speak to us in this moment. Let's don't look so far in the future we miss the now. Our God is a God of the now. He wants to speak to us. So I've titled this message today, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I want to know if you're good to go this morning. If you were to breathe your last breath and there would be a tug on the other end, would you be good to go? Would you say, yeah, I'm good to go. I've done a lot of good things. I've helped a lot of people. I've been nice today. You know, Christians should be nice people. Not only are we forgiven, we should be nice too. But listen, all of that stuff won't get you into heaven. Doing good, being better, trying to help somebody. Maybe you gave somebody some money today. That's all good. But that doesn't get you into heaven. The way you can say you're good to go is you trust in what Jesus has already done for you. Because he's good to go. He's already done the good-to-go job. He's already paid the ultimate price so that you and I, when we put our faith in Him, can say, I'm good to go because He's good to go. And what He's done for me, I have received. And what I have received is a gift. And that gift, I will take all the way with me till my last breath. And it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. So if you can't say, I'm good to go, by the end of this service today, I am praying that you would trust in the same Jesus that many of us in this room have trusted in. I got this title from Max Scherzer. I hate to say his name. He's the pitcher of the Washington Nationals because at game five, he wasn't good to go. He had been injured somehow, and the big news of the day was he's not going to be able to pitch game five. So he got a cortisone shot. He was having all kinds of problems. He went to a chiropractor, and then I think it was before game six, they showed him warming up out in the outfield, and he did this, and he said, I'm good to go. So that's a baseball analogy, but what you have to do is spiritualize this and say the only way you're good to go is what Jesus has done for you. So In Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26, Paul says, I'm good to go. Notice what he says here. Let's read it first and then we'll come back. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. Here it is. Good to go. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm good to go. That's what Paul's saying. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean uh, fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. Verse 23. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So Paul basically says, I'm good to go. And you know, the context of it is we came out of last week where he turned his uh, prison into a platform, his prison into a perspective where God was going to use him. Last week, we looked at how he turned his enemies as he was chained to the Roman guard. His enemies were trying to take advantage of him. So he turned his enemies into evangelists because he knew that not only was there saving grace in Jesus Christ, there's living grace. And this message that God is wanting to squeeze 
breathes out through the Apostle Paul is making a difference. And this week, he turns his detour into his destination. And God is at work in all of this. And that's why he says at verse 19, look at the text. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Notice what the text says, for I know. The little word know is an important word. See, there's some things you know by experience and there's some things you know by intuitive knowledge because you've gone through something. I know because I've eaten Rocky Road ice cream before that my wife, if she gets to the Rocky Road ice cream before I do, I know that all the marshmallows are gone. But I know because I have experienced it more than one time that if I go into the Rocky Road ice cream, it has been butchered because she's got a little spoon. We bought it. I remember it coming to the front door with Amazon. There's a little, and she carves out the marshmallows. I know that from experience because she's going to do it every time. What Paul is saying is I know from this position. He's saying as sure as this pen is going to drop, it's called gravity. I know that this, what Paul is saying, that this will turn out for my deliverance. See, when you go through prison, when you go through being chained to a prison guard, when you go to with other fellow prisoners, Paul says from intuitive knowledge that I know that God has done something in my life. That not only have I experienced saving grace, which is Christ coming into my life and forgiving me of my sins, but I'm experiencing living grace. Intuitively, I know. It doesn't matter whether I necessarily believe it. I know the fact that that pen is going to drop because of gravity. And he says, I know that this will turn out. The phrase turn out means not motion away from something, but motion into something. So Paul is saying God is so amazing. He's so uh, sovereign and he's so wise in what he's doing as he's able to squeeze this message out that I am moving into motion into something. I am moving into the motion of experiencing the grace of God in my life in such a way, and I know it. Is there something that you know today? Because God has revealed it to you in the midst of a storm, in the midst of some situation that you thought you couldn't make it. You can honestly say to me and say with me today, I intuitively know this because it is a fact. I have experienced the grace of God in my life. Somehow, some way, when I thought I was going down and I thought they would count me out, I have actually experienced knowing the grace of God and experiencing in my prison, which now becomes a platform for the grace of God. That's what Paul's saying here. Notice what the text says. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance. He is certain of this through your prayer, two things, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the idea is the prayers of the people. People were praying for Paul in Philippi. And they were praying for him, probably many of them praying for him to get out of prison. Stop praying that I will get out of prison. Because I'm actually chained to the Lord Jesus Christ when I'm in prison because he is my life. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So don't pray for me to have the chains released. Pray for me because I'm bound to the Savior and because I'm bound to the Savior and you're praying for me, pray that the saving grace of God would be experienced in living grace and I can do what God has called me to do. I can be a mouthpiece for the message of the gospel because I am in this prison and nobody thinks that God can use me while I'm in prison. Good news for you. In your prison today, 
God can use you. God can use you in an amazing way because he's trying to see how you're going to respond to the prison, either a prison of your own making, a prison that God has allowed you to go through because he sees so much more than you see and what I see. So this is just a temporal prison looking from this perspective of earth, but we've got to understand that our prison has an eternal perspective and God is wanting to use something in your life. Maybe a squeeze, maybe a problem, maybe a situation so that you can be able to say, I know this is going to turn out for my deliverance. And deliverance doesn't mean that you're not going to have any problems. Deliverance means the challenge is that God will deliver you right through the middle of your pain, right through the middle of your problems. There is no escaping and going around problems. Jesus went right to the cross and he went right through the cross and he experienced real pain because of the joy set before him, which was you. So Paul says, hey, listen, I know intuitively that I am for certain that I'm going to be delivered through your prayer. Thank you for praying for me, but don't pray that God will get me out of prison. Pray that the message of God that is in me will get out while I'm in prison. And then he says the supply of the Spirit. Notice the text. Two things. The human responsibility that we have to pray for one another. Pray for your search team. Continue to pray for me. In my journey of grief, thank you for your prayers. My wife and I would say thank you for your prayers. It takes responsibility to join me in prayer and fellowship and walking this journey with us. Thank you for your prayers. But I'm also thankful for the supply of the Spirit. Because if you just have the prayers of the people without the supply of the Spirit, the supply of the Spirit means that God has given me everything I need and God has given you everything you need to be effective in the ministry that he's called you to. It's the supply of the Spirit. The word supply or help, depending on your translation, means this. It's like bringing a chorus together. It's like if we had an orchestra up here, and they do in the first service, and Jason was leaving this morning, and I was seeing the orchestra, and I was seeing all the, you know, you kind of do this, and, and you've got all these instruments out there, and everybody's kind of doing their own thing, but then it takes a conductor to say, let me help you bring all this together. Do you understand what Paul's saying here? God has used the prison. He has used the guards. He has used the soldiers, and he has taken all of this that looks like it's all falling apart, and he's bringing it under together because the chorus rings about Jesus Christ in my life. God brings all of the stuff that makes no sense to us together to make beautiful music for him because it's all about him. You see, when you're in prison, if it's about you, you'll moan and complain and cry and whine and suck on a pacifier. Thank you very much. But if you realize that your prison is from the perspective and it's not about you it's actually about God let's get in on what God's doing say I surrender to him and I trust him so Paul is saying that he has an assurance he has a certainty that he's going to be delivered now he's not talking about saving grace he's talking about living grace he's talking about Christ in you now look at verse 20 according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be, look at the text, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying that according to my earnest expectation and hope, the idea of the phrase earnest expectation is a picture of a runner who's running a race. 
And this runner runs the race with so much focus that everything else becomes a blur. So what happens to us when we get ourselves in a prison or we find ourselves in a situation, we begin to look to the left and we begin to look to the right. But Paul says, I have an earnest expectation. Everything else is a blur other than Christ in me, the focus of my life. For to me, to live is Christ. So my earnest expectation is to stick out my neck and see the finish line and say, God, I want to be faithful all the way to the end. And only saving grace and living grace in you can help you focus. If you're here this morning, and you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right, make sure that Christ is your life. Don't go to other people. I did not say not get counseling. I did not say that. Don't go to other people and tell them, well, I think I should do this or should I do this or should I do that? Listen, they're going to tell you all kinds of things. But what you need to do, get counsel, the Bible says, but you don't ever follow counsel, you follow God. Listen, people are in trouble today because they follow the counsel of people who don't know God. And they say, oh, I think this feels good. I think I'll do that. I think I'll run away as a teenager. Where are you going to go? Hello, where are you going to go? We had teenagers running away when I was the student minister. We'd go pick them up, bring them back. They'd leave again. Where are you going to go? Listen, you got some bad advice. Here's what Paul is saying. Make sure that you're focused. Make sure that your earnest expectation, make sure that you are so honed in on the grace of God in your life that he would produce in you the resurrection power of Jesus. It's not what you go through, it's that you're going to go through. Somehow, some way, if you stay surrendered to Christ in the midst of the trial, he's going to begin to move you forward. You may take some steps back, but you'll go forward. Paul says in verse 20, that's my earnest expectation and hope. We're not talking about iffy hope in the Bible. Hope is a certainty in the Bible. Hope is a certainty because Jesus is certain. Jesus is focused. Jesus is fixed. Jesus is perfect. He lives in me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built on the anchor of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And yes, I can be shaken, but he can't be shaken. So that's why I stretch out my neck in earnest expectation to say to Jesus, I'm going to follow you all the way to the end. And I may not feel like it, but my faith is not built on what I feel. It's based on him who is solid. That's who it is. Now, verse 20. Still, that in nothing, the word for nothing means not in any way, shape, or form, be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, now also Christ Look at the text. Will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Here's the plan. Plan A is life. Plan B is death. It's a plus. Some people say it's a minus, but it's a win-win either way, whether by life or whether by death. Why? Because for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In fact, it's far better if I go be with the Lord. So really, I'm in a win-win situation here. As I'm going through my situation, it really doesn't matter what the outcome is because I know the one who has the outcome, and I know that I win either way. Notice what Paul says here. He says, make sure that Christ is magnified in your body, not your spirit. This is important because Christ is no longer on this earth in his body. He lives in me in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the way that people see that Jesus is magnified in my life and in your life is because of your body. 
in what you say, in what you do. You say, I'll just say anything I want with my tongue. No, you won't if your tongue belongs to God. You say, I'll just go watch any movie I can, not if your eyes belong to God. You see, the Bible says that Christ in us, we're to be a living sacrifice in our body. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you live out this message of grace in your body. So we put our body on the sacrifice. We put our body on the altar. We are magnified. Paul says, Christ is magnified in me, in my body. So you don't say to somebody, well, come to church with me. You say, I am the church, now come with me. Because Christ in you, living through you, you are the temple, right? You're the temple. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you're the temple. You're the body of Jesus. The the spirit of Jesus lives in you, but we're the body. So you can't do anything with your body. There were those that were in the Roman Senate who would uh, conduct political business and then they would go have sexual immorality and they said, you know, you can segregate the spirit from the body. No, when you've given Christ your heart and he comes to live with you in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's body, soul, and spirit. It all belongs to him. So when Paul says, be magnified in my body, he's saying that your body sends a message to people in the midst of your prison, in the midst of your situation. Be enlarged, be enlarged. That's what the text says. Be magnified in my body. So if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it does matter what I put into my body. Because this body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Him. So if this body belongs not to me and to Him, and I want to magnify Him in my body, then I let Christ be Christ in my life, and I surrender to Him. My body is the temple, so I don't see what I want to see sometimes. I, I say no to this. I say no to that because he lives in me. And to take him into some of the places that we would like to take our body into would not be the right thing because you don't set Jesus aside when you decide to sin. You take him right in the middle of your sin, but my body is the temple. He lives in me. He's the sacrifice who lives in me. So Jesus, when they went to the temple, you couldn't go directly into the temple and sacrifice it yourself. You had to hand it off to the priest. Now, there's a picture here. If if Jesus is being magnified in my body, the issue is that he is the sacrifice. So I don't bring myself in a way that I say, the sacrifice is me. I sacrifice myself on the altar. I don't have to hand myself over. I belong to him, and I am a priest. I am the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the righteousness of God. So not only am I the priest, I got direct access to God because of what Jesus has done. Uh, I am the sacrifice. I sacrifice my life. I put my life on the altar, but I am the temple. It does matter how you live your life, by the way. It matters. It matters to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. Listen, some of the worst things that I did once I became a believer in Jesus was take Jesus into places he had no business going. I couldn't undo him and say, stay over here while I go to this party over here. He lives in me. Now listen, we need to say, Jesus, magnify yourself in me. And there are places we don't go because of who he is in your life. You don't go there. We're we're sending a message to the world. Watch this. So he says this. That Christ would be magnified in my body. It's the incarnational communication of what Christ has done in our lives. In my body. Oh, you say, oh, I'll be with you in spirit. No, I want your body at the meeting. Don't tell me you're going to miss the meeting. Because when you put your body on the altar, you've laid everything out there. So it matters what we do with our body. It matters how we live our life. That's what Paul is saying. Let Christ in the midst of prison be magnified in my body. 
Now here's what he says, verse 21. Notice the text. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Circle the word for. He's speaking for himself. I'm so tired of people on the TV trying to speak for me. You speak for yourself. Paul says, for me. I'm speaking for nobody but for me. For to me, to live is Christ. That means that Christ is the essence of my life. He is not a part of my life. He is not a part of my ministry. He is not a part of my family. Well, what if I have this mentality? For to me, to live is money. Well, guess what? To die is to leave all of your money. If you have the wrong focus, for me to live, Paul says, is Christ. It is Christ in my life. He is the essence of my life. He is the purity of my life. He is the holiness of my life. So Paul didn't say for to me to live is anything but just Jesus Christ. And I would say to you, as we march forward and forge forward in this church, you need to be able to say that Christ is your life. You don't go to church to get Christ as your life. You go to Jesus to get Christ as your life. For to me, for to me, I'm speaking for myself today. For to me, to live, it's Christ. When I get an extra hour of sleep, when I can't sleep anyway, for to me, to live is Christ. It's, that's just it. It's the essence of my life. It's the essence of the ministry. It's the essence of this church. For to me, to live is Christ. But look at the text. And to die is gain. It's like on this earth, we're tasting of this temporal mentality here, that the Spirit of God that lives in me, in this body, who is magnifying himself in this body, it's like I'm tasting of the living water here on this earth. I am tasting of the living water. I'm experiencing and you're experiencing in your situation the grace of God, manifest presence of Jesus in your life. So when someone responds to you in the flesh, you don't respond back into the flesh. You respond for to me to live as Christ. That's what happens here. But look at the text. But to die is gain. I don't, I'm not sure we really believe that. I'm not sure we do. In third world countries where they're suffering, where they're martyred, where they're killed for their faith, they look forward to going to heaven. They believe that heaven's an actual real place with a real person that's been prepared for them. And so in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain, they say, yeah, for to me to live is Christ, but to die, it's gain. It's like... It's a gain on an investment. It's, it's far better to go to be with Christ. But it's like tasting of the living grace here. We taste and experience and we drink of the fountain of God's grace here. But listen to me. I will drink one day forever and forever and forever the eternal presence of the flowing water of Jesus Christ and his grace over my life. And to die is gain. Something of death, we think, put death at bay. Death is like a plague. No, listen to me. Death is a game. We should live like death is a game. Death is a game. It's a beautiful thing when God allows us to move into his eternal home and eternal presence with him forever and forever and forever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache, no more disappointment, no more cancer. To die is not a bad thing at all when you know Jesus. If you die without Jesus, you'll split hell wide open. I'm telling you the truth. The issue today is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, but to die, oh, it's a gain, man. Don't think that I lose, because I don't know if I'm going to win or lose in prison here, according to the world's stance. I just know that I am forever his, no matter what. That's what the text says. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The word die means a state of being. 
It means to die off. It means, think about this. It means a spiritual state of being that actually, when I take my last breath, I'm just transferred into the presence of God. I really never die, right? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I just transfer to my eternal home where I will serve and worship him forever. You think we're going to be sitting in heaven just uh, playing harps or something like that? The Bible says in Revelation we'll be serving him and we'll be worshiping him forever. And the new heavens and the new earth will experience all that with him. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that wherever the Lord is, that's where we're going to be. This life is just a little blip on the screen. For to me to live is Christ, fine. But to die, I'll experience more of Christ than when I've ever had before. Do you know for sure if you died today that you'd spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Or is there some doubt in your mind that just maybe I haven't come through the one way? Think about that. Paul says that death is a gain forever and forever. The, the temporal will become eternal. The unseen is eternal. That which is seen is temporal. I'm living in this prison. I'm living on this earth. I just see things. I see disappointment. I see hurt. I see pain. But lift up your eyes, O ye gates, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come. That's what Psalm 24 says. So Paul says that. Look at the next part of the text. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die, but look how he finishes this thing out. This is beautiful, and we'll be finished in just a few moments. Here's what he says. But if I live on in the flesh, he's talking about his body. This will mean fruit from my labor, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. Let me just say this to you. Death is not your choice. It's God's choice. It's not your choice. No, listen. Life and death are in God's hands. They are. You can trust him. You can trust him for life in Christ here. You can trust him in death forever to be a gain for you. But it's like Paul thought he had a choice, but it really wasn't Paul's choice at all. It was God's choice to either allow him to stay here or go and be with him in glory. So if you think about that, that's a beautiful thing. It's about the sovereignty of God. And then he says, here's what I'm thinking. For I'm hard-pressed, verse 23, between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So the idea is he had this desire to depart. The word depart means to... Have you ever been on a camping trip before that has gone bad? (laughs) Anybody? If you've ever been on a camping trip that's gone bad, you folded the tent, you picked up the marbles, and you went home. But listen to me. When the word depart describes breaking up a tent... It talks about packing up the tent and moving on to your eternal home. Listen, it's not a bad thing when you die and you go immediately into the presence of the Lord because you're going to be praising the one who saved you and has given you eternal life. So the picture of the word depart would be like a tent that's folding and you're going to loosen that tent in the string so that you can be in the eternal presence of God. It's also a picture of a ship leaving the harbor where someone on this end is saying goodbye and someone on the other end is saying hello. That's the way it is in heaven. That you, There's some goodbyes here. There's a lot of hellos on the other end. So that's what Paul is saying. I, I kind of desire to depart the loosening of the tent, the loosening of the moorings of a ship. I desire to depart and be with Christ. It's way much better if I go do that. But it may be more needful if I stay with you. Because this is the church of Philippi. And it may be more needful that you need to experience more joy and more peace and more grace. So here's what he's saying. I'll leave that to God. 
Whatever God wants to do. That's what he says. But he said, this is my desire to depart. Notice what the text says. He's hard-pressed between the two. It's like, it's kind of like a squeeze there. Hard-pressed between the two. To go and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Here's what he says. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain. This is when he knows he's going to stay. This, this is when he knows he's going to get out of prison. And know that I should remain and continue with you all for your progress. See, it's for the purpose of somebody else. Listen, if God leaves you on this earth to live, it's still not about you. It's for the progress of somebody else. It's for the hope of eternal life in somebody else. It is never about us. I pray that this church will never focus on itself, will never focus on a pastor, will never say the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, but this church will say Jesus, 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 Jesus for the progress of the faith of the joy of being in Jesus. We never focus on a man. You always focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And I am eternally grateful for Brother John's 53 years. I have learned much through him, by him. In fact, many of you ask, why do I shake hands before the sermon? Why do I preach the sermon? That's because I'm asked to. And then thirdly, why do I shake hands after the sermon? Let me tell you why. I learned it from him. So when I'm up here speaking, some of you don't even know that I'm the pastor when I shake your hand, if it's the first time I shook your hand. But you know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping God uses a handshake in his name for to me to live as Christ, that you'll hear the message of Christ and you'll be saved by the grace of God. I learned it here. And Paul says, it is more needful for you that I stay. And he's going to remain. Look at the text. For the progress and the joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me, verse 26, we'll come to a close, may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. This week I was invited to judge a pumpkin contest. I don't know why I take the phone calls that the other guys just get out of their office and run. Anyway, uh, a former student of mine who's the assistant principal at the old Beverly Hills or Morris Middle School said, um, could you come judge a pumpkin contest on Thursday? So I accepted the invitation. And old Beverly Hills is just like old Beverly Hills was. Same old hallway, same old air conditioning. I mean, heating system, it wasn't even working that day. It was cold that day. Still wasn't working. But I walked into the teacher's lounge, and I walked into the office, and guess what all the people said? Sagemont redid all these floors for us. Sagemont Church. Because Sagemont Church is not about Sagemont Church. It's about Jesus Christ and serving others. Do you know the best part of Morris Middle School is the teacher's lounge that has floors and new furniture. You go to some of the other places, it's the same old stuff as when I went to school. I went to Thompson, but Beverly Hills looked just the same as Thompson. So here's the idea. When you know that your needs have been met in Jesus Christ, and if you have trusted Jesus, let me say, all of your needs have been met in Him. You don't have to live for yourself. You don't have to serve yourself. You can serve other people by the grace of God. Do you understand that? That's your purpose on this earth. 
You don't have any needs that need to be met. Jesus has met all of your needs, so now all I can do is serve. This church not only laid the floors, paid for the floors, and uh, paid for the labor with its own money that God has supplied here. So that is what is ministry, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying to the people, I am going to stay on this earth because of the joy of your progress and the joy of your faith. Let me see if I can close with this illustration. Do you remember Astroworld? It used to be the best theme park in the world. I think there were four roller coasters at one time. I remember the Excalibur. Uh, the Excalibur, there was one in the kiddie park. I can't remember that one. My wife told me what it was, but I forgot. Then you had Grease Lightning, which was kind of a real quick shootout, 60 miles an hour, go around a loop, and then come right back around. And then you had the Cyclone. And it was the world's biggest, biggest wooden ro roller coaster. And here's the thing. I remember one day being in Astroworld as a kid. And there was these two ladies. I, I'm, I can't remember what ride it was. And they said, they looked around. They said, they've thought of everything here. And then I remember going to the Mayan mind bender. Do you remember that? You can't sit next to anybody. It's, you put your kids in a car in front of you. And you get strapped in as a parent behind and you think, oh, they've thought of everything here. Let's don't worry about that. And then you move into the darkness. You move into this deep black hole on this roller coaster. <laughs> but you're thinking in your mind, they've thought of everything here. No, they haven't thought of everything. I'm about to freak out. And it's right here. And so the idea is... But we, go to, we would go to Astroworld and we would I would ride Grease Lightning and I would ride the Cyclone and I was scared. And then you know what? The more I rode it, the more confidence I had in the Cyclone. The more confidence I had in Grease Lightning. The more I experienced the, the experience of going to Astroworld and riding those rides, the more joy I experienced. And here's what I was thinking of in our life. I want to say this to you for some of you that are followers of Jesus in this room. Would you start enjoying the ride of Christianity. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said it's a, it's a cakewalk. Nobody said Christianity is a bed of roses. If they did, they lied to you. Listen, Christianity is about Christ and Christ suffered and you and I will suffer. But what we need to learn is that we need to enjoy the ride. Some of us aren't enjoying the ride very much. And we're not able to serve others. We're serving ourselves for the sake of ourselves because we didn't understand what Paul was saying. We don't serve ourselves for the sake of ourselves. We serve others for the sake of Christ. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The grace of God has touched us in a way that not only has he saved us, but he's producing that grace through our lives and it's fruitful labor for him. May we, as a church, to continue to enjoy the ride. And let's have confidence in Christ. Let's move forward. And let's let Jesus be Jesus in you. And let's let Jesus magnify himself in our body and understand that we are the temple of God. We are the sacrifice. And we are a priest because of what Jesus has done. I don't have to go to anybody in order to go to God. I go directly to God because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. I have a relationship with the Father because of the Son. Do you? I'm going to say this and it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. One year ago, I stood on this stage preaching my son's funeral. 
And if I didn't believe every single word of this book, I would quit. I would give up. I would put myself in a position to say, God, I cannot go on. Listen to me. I have to know that death is a game. It's a game because of what Jesus did for my son. And whenever my last breath is, whenever it is and whenever yours is, you don't have to fear death. You can face your way all the way because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Oh, for to me, for me, I'm just speaking. I'm just speaking to myself. For to me, to live is Jesus Christ. But to die is going to be a gain. Eternal pleasure forever and forever and forever. If you don't know for sure whether you know Jesus, would you just bow your head at this moment? Would all of us just bow our heads? Oh, I'm a broken man who God is just putting the pieces together for his glory. If you're not sure whether death will be a gain for you, would you today listen? God loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your situation is. I, it does not matter to me. God knows he brought you here today so that you could experience new life in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're empty, the bottom line is you feel empty. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no serving others. There's no love for others. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, would you be willing as God draws you to say yes to him today. I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the life of Jesus that saves you. But the prayer can lead you to a relationship with him. Would you pray this prayer right where you are? Say, dear God, I'm just not sure that death is going to be a gain for me. It may be a huge loss. I've not settled eternity in my heart and in my mind. If I died right now, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven based on what Jesus has done for me. I'm not sure I've received that free gift of salvation that was paid for on the cross. Say this in your prayer. God, I repent. I am broken over my sin. My sin sent you to the cross. And I am willing to turn and repent from my sin today and ask you, to come into my life. Would you do that right now? Would you come into my life and save me from my sin so that I can say death is a gain whenever my last breath is? I am not trying to scare anybody in this room, but none of us know if we're going to even make it to the parking lot. You should settle this now.